Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. Uh, I'm excited this morning to continue on our vein of New Covenant stuff. This doesn't really have a serious title, so I'm just kind of preaching. <laughs> that all right? With, as the old preacher would say, would that be all right? Y'all know nothing about that. I'm just kind of preaching. I'm just kind of sharing what's on my heart. And the Lord has really been placing stuff on my heart that I think is crucial for us. Um, when we start talking about New Covenant and we start talking about... Uh, uh, casting off old mindsets. Amen? Because, you know, the, the reality is most of the battle you fight is over your mind. Most of the battle we fight, it ain't drugs, it ain't alcohol. I know those are the symptoms. Those are the physical things of what we see of the fight. But really, the fight is over here. It's what you believe. Come on. If you devalue yourself in your head, you will do all sorts of stuff to enforce that belief. But oh, y'all, can I? Amen? Oh, he gave me something. I got something to throw. Amen. Hallelujah. If I throw the red one, you need to wake up. I'm just but we will enforce things based on our belief system in our head. This ain't even in my nose. Amen? So when we start dealing with like uh, alcohol abuse or drug abuse, right? It's not the drug that's, that's so strong. It's your belief about yourself. Okay, because when you change your belief about yourself, you'll overcome the symptom. Ask, ask anybody who struggled with alcohol and nervous who's overcome. Yeah, they may have gone to classes, they have done all these physical things, but it wasn't until they believed that they deserved more and they were worthy of more that they didn't change the behavior. It's abuse. Abuse is believing that you deserve what's been given to you. And it travels. It's it's emotional abuse. It's physical abuse. And people stay trapped there because when we don't believe, come on now, the battleground of your mind, when the battleground of your mind is, is subsided to the belief that I am not worthy, you settle for what's given to you. You settle for the symptom in front of you. It's going to get it's quiet in the house of the Lord today. Amen. 
Is it that quiet online too? Hopefully it's not. Maybe y'all typing to say amen because they ain't saying amen to me at all. Amen. So I'm, I'm excited to, to share the word of God today. We're going to dive deep into some stuff. And I think it's important to our faith. Amen. amen. We're going to continue in this vein of new covenant talk. Amen. Because we got to change how you talk about yourself and how you talk about your Lord. Amen. When you get them two right, we're going to be unstoppable. Come on, somebody. Amen. I keep saying amen because y'all ain't even talking to me. Y'all just got just looking at me. Okay. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. We're going to start there. If y'all know me, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture to preach. And I have preached it a lot, but the God showed me something. I, I did, the Holy Spirit showed me something different this time, and I just, I just wanted to go there. I wanted to go there. We're going to go there today, Casey. It's going to be good. Amen. If I say so myself. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if I can say so myself, it's going to be good. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and I'm using my small iPad, so y'all, y'all bear with me, okay? I'm just kidding. Now it says this, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to Who? Did y'all catch that? The youngest son asked for his portion. The father gave both of them a blessing. Just we'll let that sit in there, okay? Uh, he gave to them his livelihood. After not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You know, I used to think that there was a problem with the son asking for his stuff, his inheritance. Amen? I used to preach, if you ain't ready, don't ask. You know what I'm saying? You got to be prepared before you ask. But the Bible says, if you ask anything of me, my Father in heaven will. He will grant it. Isn't that what the scripture said? Come on, this is new covenant, right? So if you come to God and you say, God... I want that inheritance. Come on, bro. Come on, Lord. Give it to me. God will give it to you. Because that's what he does. He's a father that gives gifts to his children. It's all biblical. I used to think there was a problem with the son asking for his livelihood. But it wasn't. How do I know it wasn't? Because the father responded... And gave the older son his too. Once you catch this, catch this. Maybe the problem was that the older son hadn't asked for his yet. Wow. Okay. Culture, you have to understand culture. Hey, give me my livelihood. That's what, it was, this was a thing. It wasn't like unusual. Amen. And the son asked for it, the younger son. But the older son got blessed too. You have not because, okay, that was free. That was free in this message, all right. 
But the problem is that after many days, he gathered all his livelihood and then he left. <laughs> okay. We're going we're gonna to break that down a little bit. But when he had spent all, then arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he joined him, went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him uh, into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants, hired servants, have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and before you, against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me. Make me. I'm going to say it one more time like Oprah. Make me like one of your hired servants. I just want to read that one more time. Because when I was reading this, this jumped off the page at me. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against you and in your sight, and I am no longer to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the oldest son was in the field. And he came home and drew near to the house and heard the music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants. And that's what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come home. Come home, man, because he's received safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Catch the language here. These many years I have been serving you. He called his father out and said, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Come on, this sounds like some church folk I know up in the house of Jesus. Come on, I, I, I ain't never sinned. You don't know them folks? Y'all know them church folk, do you? Amen. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, yet you gave you never gave me a young goat that I might be merry, make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Hold on. Devoured your livelihood with harlots. Catch the mess up here. The son asked for his livelihood. The father gave the son his. 
And when he transferred it to the son, it became the son. The younger son understood ownership. This is now mine. He squandered it, but he knew it belonged to him. The older son said, when the son of yours uh, uh, came who has devoured your livelihood. Y'all, this thing is packed with some juicy stuff right here, boy. <laughs> Lord, with harlots, you killed the fatty cow for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary be glad because your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Amen? Turn over to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. We're going to read this. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will die, will one die for. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God, somebody say God, God. demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. I'm on a mission today to preach a message that's called God is Father. Somebody say, God is Father. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to say. Preach through me in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of Luke presents Jesus uh, to the Gentiles as Savior of all mankind. Luke is one of the longest recorded New Testament Gospels, uh, one of the longest recorded books of the New Testament. Um, and it's the only book with a consecutive book, like a, a sequel, so to speak, written to it. The sequel to Luke is Acts, the book of Acts. All right? Uh, Luke is a doctor, very smart, very well uh, written, penmanship on point. Come on, somebody. And Luke is probably the most... Um, highly scrutinized and recorded gospel of all the gospels. Okay? Luke was a Greek doctor. Uh, he was a friend of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, uh, Paul referred to Luke often as the beloved physician. Amen? And um, A lot of medical stuff is talked about in Luke, if you go read it, because, you know, he's a doctor, okay? People talk about what they talk about. You understand? Also, Luke was a very educated historian. Amen? Y'all hear me? I'm just giving you a little background so you understand the text and what we're building off right here. Uh, his account was... Like Luke was written from the, from compiling the eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry. Amen? So Luke is sharing firsthand experience. 
You understand? His narrative is written in consecutive order. It's one of the only books like this where it's not jumping around like he writes it. It's written as it's happening in chronological consecutive order. So Jesus talks about this and moves to the next thing. You would have been there, it would have been there. It's not like you get this and then they flip over to, you know, after the cross and then it's, it's all consecutive. You understand? Luke was the only, listen to this now, the only non-Jewish New Testament writer. So Luke's perspective is much different from most. He was Greek. Come on. The Jewish folk would be like, oh, them some ungodly folk over there. <laughs> he was Greek. The Gospel of Luke accounts for 25% of the New Testament. And he has 18 parables in this Gospel that are not found in any other Gospel. This writing is a robust uh, um, assessment, a robust addition to the New Testament that Luke accounts. And there's a lot of them, including the one we're talking about today, the prodigal son. The prodigal son is not found in any other gospel. The only place you find it is in Luke. From eyewitness accounts. They're talking about Jesus sharing this parable. Jesus shares this parable with a bunch of people who would have been mad about what he was saying. This parable that elevates the son who has grossly defiled the family by squandering, disobeying, talking back, and doing all the things that he's done. The group that Jesus is talking to would have actually celebrated the older brother's attitude towards the younger brother's son. The group that Jesus is talking to would have looked at the older brother and said, yes, you're right, I agree, we should be mad. Why are we having a party? What is going on? You understand And while it may be labeled in our Bible as the prodigal son story, the truth is this text has very little to do with the son and a whole lot to do with the father. Amen. Somebody say a little to do with the son. A lot to do with the father. This story is actually mostly this parable, in my opinion, and when you really read it, this parable is really about the prodigal father. The word prodigal means one who gives lavishly, one who is extravagant 
in giving or spending or wasting. Wasteful, extravagant giving. And we see multiple times in this text where the father does this very thing. Yo, dad, I need my, li- my livelihood. I'm going to extravagantly, wastefully give you this livelihood that you've asked for. This is what the father does. You catching this? He goes, he does all this stuff, he wastes and squanders all his money, he comes back, and as the father sees him, because he's been waiting for his son to come home, he sees him, he takes off running, and he lifts his robe. You got to picture this. This is wasteful. This is extravagant. This is not normal of a father of that time. This would make the father a prodigal. Wasteful, extravagant. Man, I'm so glad I have a wasteful, extravagant God who gives me wasteful, extravagant grace and mercy. Come on, somebody. Are you catching this? This story is important. And I think it's important for a, a, a many different reasons, but I'm, I'm going to lay down two real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to dive on some other stuff. But, but the first one, uh, well, uh, and listen, listen, before I even go here, it's important for many different reasons, but I think it's important for the, uh, the, the crossing over of understanding the new covenant, because if we don't understand the new covenant, again, I've said this many times, we're going to miss what the gospel is teaching us. Come on. We're going to miss this life that we've been granted and given, this life of beauty and happiness and joy and grace. And Come on, somebody, this life where we can live at peace with all men, this life where we can be all things to all people. Come on, this life where we, where we don't have to waste our energy being mad because we can forgive and move on. Come on, somebody, this life where we get to enjoy being around people who may get on our nerves every now and then. This life, we get to enjoy it. When you understand New Covenant, come on, when you get this real uh, deep-seated belief in New Covenant, you begin to realize that there is nothing that can shake you from living the best life that you can possibly live. Amen. And I love this passage of Scripture because Jesus, the audience he's talking to, this is a real hit in the face. But if they caught what he was trying to say, it is a huge addition to the transition of their mindset. As, as, as rough and as hard as it may have been for them to take and hear it and, and process it, if they leaned into the process, it was important, listen to me now, it was important to the transition of their mindset so they can understand and see God differently. What am I getting at? 
For us today, the story just as significant. If we can take and process what the scripture is saying to us, come on now, and not just from face value, we do some study, some research, look into the thing, read a few scriptures before and after. Come on, somebody, not just take it from face value. Oh, the son messed up, and he he's a he's he's a sinner, and he came back home, and and all this stuff. No, you gotta you gotta look deep into this thing. It will help in the process. The transition of our mindset. And there are many different angles we can go from the scripture. We can talk about the son. Who, of course, listen, the easy thing is always, the, sin is always the easy thing to pick out. Someone's behavior is always the low-hanging fruit. Casey said, we can see that. And it's the truth. We can always pick on somebody's behavior. It's always the low-hanging fruit. Why? Because I can see that. And then if I can get you to change that, I'll feel confident that you've actually changed. Because I don't see their behavior anymore. Disregarding that your heart may not have changed. So what I've done is got you assimilated, not transformed. Uh, can I say something? This is going to be tough. This is what most evangelical Christian churches have taught us. I want you to assimilate. Come to church, raise your hand, don't smoke, don't do all these things, raise your hand. But deep down inside, you're still feeling the same way because your heart ain't transformed. Because you haven't actually encountered Jesus. You encountered a rule book. And when we treat, treat scripture, oh, y'all ready for this? When we treat scripture and we, and we process scripture and we preach scripture as a rule book, nobody can be transformed. We assimilate them, they don't transform. But when I teach it like it's a book that gives life, come on, somebody. That's the word of Lord is spoken from this that brings life to our bodies. Come on. I can transform people. Not just get them assimilated. But most of us are assimilated, not transformed. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, are you assimilated or are you transformed? This, this scripture, this passage, this parable, so to speak, this parable, aids in the process of shifting our mindset from one covenant to another. Amen. Man, I feel like preaching today. I, this is going to be good. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm ready for this one. From one parable to another. And the reality is, if we're going to shift our mind from one parable, I mean one covenant to another, the biggest thing that we have to learn to shift is our view of God, of the old covenant, and God a new covenant. Amen. And how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to tell you today. First of all, I think this, this passage of Scripture is important. And she's going to throw this up on the screen. It's because it, 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 it helped, like, it shows us that Jesus came to reveal God as Father. 
But not just him as father now, but it's also revealing that he's always been father. Somebody say always been father. He's always been father. So the scripture here, this passage here is, is important to, because listen, before Jesus, nobody called God father. And also Jesus is recorded calling God, God less than five times, I believe. Every other time he's saying, Abba, father, come on, daddy. You know, we live in a time right now where preachers make fun of other preachers that call him daddy or father. And they say, oh, you disrespecting God. This is the world we live in. Amen? So I think the scripture does two things. One, it shows us that Jesus came to reveal God as father and that he's always been the father. The other thing is that Jesus came to reveal us as sons and daughters. Somebody said sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. Listen, it's not, you know, know, he reveals God as father. Amen? But he reveals us as sons and daughters. When Jesus comes along, we get to witness a father-son relationship between God and somebody on earth. Amen. So he came to reveal God, what God was like. And what God was like was a father. Not a master. And we sang it now. Master. Dun, 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 dun. Savior. Ruler. Ruler. Ain't one time denoted the relationship of father. It was always about a father. The story was always about a father. The whole gospel was always about a father. The Old Testament was always about a father. It's always been about a father. It reveals us as sons of daughters. It reveals who we are in him. Amen. I also think, and I didn't put this one down, but I also think that Jesus reveals to us what the devil was like. By helping us understanding that, listen to this, that the weapon of Satan was the law. You know that, that scripture says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. They're actually talking about the law right there. 
The weapon was the law. And we have to realize, listen to this, listen now, we are not, and I'm going to say this, we are not in a grace, grace dispensation. Y'all know what that word is? Dispensation. A time, a dedicated time to talk about certain things, right? Everybody following, it's basically like the word trend. This is not a grace trend. We're not in the, the, the age of grace. God deals with man based on covenants. Amen. Are you hearing me? He's not constrained to dispensations. He deals with man based on covenants. You got to understand, Jesus reveals to us what God is like. Amen. And if we can't include Jesus, we can't be, have a revelation of who God is. Amen. I'm a, can I say it like, let me say it like this. There's no revelation of God without the person of Jesus Christ. You can't fully know God without Jesus. Why is it important? Why is this important? Can, can, are y'all okay with me just talking to you a little bit? Amen. Why is this important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Because the law, listen, the law could never reveal the true nature of God. The law was given, but it never revealed the nature of God. It never revealed the character of God. Come on. And listen, God, God didn't want to give the law. The people begged for it. And so a list was given, but life was not. And many of us to this day, oh, you got to hear these words. We still look at the Bible like a list, not a life-giving document. We go to the Word, we get our list, and we get no life. And when you treat the Bible like a list, you don't get to understand the character and nature of our Father. If it's a rule book in which you check off your list of to-dos, you don't meet him. So the law could never truly reveal the nature of God. Amen. And people were left to try and figure that out on their own, based on their list. And they would say, and we, you know, there are many, there are many different things, right? Sometimes he was good, sometimes he wasn't. They had a skewed view of God. Do you know you can believe a half-truth about God? Do you know that you can believe God is good, but that's only the half the truth? You want to know the other half of truth? He's only good. He's not just good. He's only good. The travesty of what happened in the garden is that the devil introduced to, listen to this, Adam and Eve, this lie that God had an evil side. Don't you know the day you take this, you'll be like God? 
knowing good and back up a few scripture. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. The devil tricked them to believe a lie that they were not already just like God. And how did he do that? He introduced this ulterior character. Oh, God's not just good. It can't be just that good. He's got to have an evil side too. You don't know the evil side until you eat this. Oh, y'all, go, that, that was going to sit with you for a minute right there. That. He was always just, he was good. He's good, always good, all good. And the devil tried to make them believe that they were missing out on an evil side of God. But they were already just like him. Satan will acknowledge God is good, but he also wants you to believe that God has an evil side. And Jesus helps to reveal to us how much we are already like God. Amen? Are y'all hearing me? So, you know, the story... I've talked about this story many times, and I'm not going to go back and, you know, go through the whole, this is what the time was like. You've heard this plenty of times, so you understand the audience, you understand who Jesus is talking to. Really, what I wanted to talk about today is those two things. One, that the story helps to understand so we can cross the chasm of Old Covenant versus New Covenant, because we have to truly understand who God is to understand who we are. Amen? And then when we understand who we are, we understand more and more who God is. But if we don't see him right, come on somebody, we still believe a half-truth that he's good, but there's an evil side. Come on then we will believe that God, listen, are y'all ready for this? We'll believe that God's responsible for all these plagues and these storms and the earthquakes. We will believe things like, oh, God judged this nation by killing everybody. And why? Because the enemy snuck into our mind that God has an evil side. And somehow he's grimacing. He's trying to figure out how to kill these children. If you're a parent, can I ask you something? How many evil thoughts do you think about your children? You think any evil thoughts? I mean, I know they get on your nerves sometimes, but come on, right? We ain't thinking, how can I introduce some sickness to their life? How can I loosen the tires on their bike so they can fall out and break up both legs? Come on. And then they'll know that I'm good. 
But we, listen, we believe God does this kind of stuff. And we teach it in church. And we post it on Facebook. And we post it on Instagram. God judged this nation. They were all evil. No, I'm sorry. That's your sick, prideful self not acknowledging how to be humble. And recognize, come on, listen now. Cause, oh, I'm not going to say it. I'm just. Oh, that's no, that's, that, that's what we call that nationalism again. The Christian nationalism. Amen? Well, God judges his nation and it's all black people. No, you're racist. God just them gay people at club by the burning down. No, you're homophobic. That's what you are. You are a bigot, a fascist, sexist. Any other words I need to add to it? If you think God judges people like that, you believe the lie that God has an evil side, and that somehow God is trying to destroy His kids, and you won't even do that to your own children. But you'll do that to other people's children. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you have an evil side. And you think God's like you, and he's not. He's better than all of us. I regress. Jesus came to reveal God as a father, and that he's always been a father. Not only that, that he's good, and he's always been good. He's only good, Amen. But I think the story is also important for a few other reasons. And I'm going to dive into this real quick because we got to get out of here. Amen. First of all, the story reveals to us that the greatest battle of our life is over our identity. Somebody say identity. In every covenant, listen to me, God our Father wanted us to know we are his children. Every covenant. God wanted us to know we were his children. Let me say it again. Every covenant. Mosaic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, all of it. God wanted us to know we are his children. But we opted For a slave and master relationship. God said, I want want father, son. And we said, no, we want master, slave. And the problem is, listen to me, the problem is when we live with a slave-master mentality, we will never be secure in our relationship with God because slaves are never secure in their relationship with their master. Why? Because it's always based on performance. Did I do good today? Did I do enough today? Are you pleased with my performance? Did I produce what I needed to produce for you to be okay and happy with me? Because I don't want you to not be happy because if you're not happy with me, you will strike me down. You'll make my life hard. You'll do something to cause grief in my life so I can recognize that I'm still a slave and that I didn't do right. 
And many of us today are still opting to live our life, our relationship with God as a slave master mentality. Waiting for God to strike us based on what we do or don't do. Have done or have not done. If it's good enough or not good enough. I'm preaching up in the house today. But I'm here to tell you that God doesn't want a slave master relationship. He wants a father son, father daughter relationship. He wants you to know that you're loved unconditionally no matter what's going on in your life. What you've done, haven't done, will do, won't do. I don't care. He loves you because you're his child. And he is a father, not a master. Oh, I know that's going to mess with some church folk theology right there. Because he is my master. No, he calls himself God, your heavenly father. There's not one time where you see God refer to you himself as your master. Search through scripture, you won't find it. You see, people call him master. God never calls himself master. He calls himself father. Slave is never secure in this relationship with a master. It's always based on performance. But a son knows no matter what, they're always a son. (coughs) Why is it important in the scripture? Listen, the scripture says the son came to himself. The son came to himself. Listen now. Catch the the half-truths here. Catch it. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have enough food? And I perish with hunger. So he came to himself, found he had a need. Right? Listen, I I love y'all, but repentance was not the driving force for the son to come home. It was a need. Wasn't repentance. He wouldn't come home to really apologize. He had a need. I'm hungry. So I'm hungry. My dad takes care of his servants. So I think I can say this to appease him. Because it wasn't really a heart change. It wasn't really transformation. Oh, this is what the law does to us. It'll give us the words to articulate fakeness. Mm. Throw that at somebody. Come on. Mm. But when he came to tell, he says this I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, I'll rise and go to my father. Listen to the half truth. I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I am no, no longer worthy to be called your. Greatest battles over our identity. He believed that he had a good father. He didn't believe he was a worthy son. 
miss it because he grew up. He knew the nature of his father. That I can say these words, and because my father's good, he'll at least let me back with the servants. But I'm not worthy to be called the son. And he says these words, make me like one of your servants. I need somebody to catch this revelation right here. Listen, when you are a son, you will always be a son. If you're going to be anything else, you have to be made that. He could have said, treat me like one of your servants. Uh, let me live out in there. No, he said, you got to make me over. Change my identity. Listen, and I hear, oh, I need somebody to catch this revelation. Your identity as a son is always going to be a son. And anything different is God, mm-mm, something trying to make you over. Make me like one of your sons. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the only way I can never be your son is if you remake me into a servant. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. So what I need you to do to solidify my disbelief in my worthiness I need you to make me something that I'm not. Oh, my word. When I saw that, I about threw my Bible, iPad, and everything across the room. Because some of us keep living our life, keep trying to get God to make us something that we're not. (sighs) We think that sin is uh, is a falling of identity. Disbelief is where it's at, baby. That's where it's at. It's the sin. Hold on. The Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of its sin, which is unbelief. Disbelief. Unbelief. When you don't believe what God says about you, you're literally saying, God, make me like one of your higher servants. God, your word ain't enough. I got, listen, I know you're good, but I done messed up. I'm not worthy. So make me into a servant so I can do right, be right, and be close, but not be in relationship. God, make me into a person where you judge me by my performance, not out of your unconditional love. Make me like one of your higher servants. Man, when I saw that, I'm not kidding you, Casey. I thought about all the times that I have unintentionally asked God to make me like a higher servant. Make me like, listen, I'm not worthy to carry the identity of son, but I can't change that. 
Because that's just who I am. That's who you made me to be. That's what I was born as. I was brought in as a son. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm no longer a slave. I am now a son. I have gone through the other. Listen, you heard the scripture this morning. Aisha said it. Uh, uh, Mackenzie, it, we are now adopted as sons and daughters. We are in the family of God. Come on, somebody. And if we're now in the family, the only way to get out is you got to be made something that you're not. Hold on. This much sin, come on, slap around, drank around, smoked around, all the stuff around. And the only time we get to see his identity as a son question is when he says, I'm not worthy. You never see a side conversation. Scripture never records. So the father had a conversation with the chambers. Hey, guys, by the way, this is no longer my son. We never see that. Actually, it paints a whole different picture that the father's waiting for him to come home. Because even though he's out squandering, doing everything, don't really know who he is, the father says, I still know who you are. You're still my son. Come on, somebody. And I don't care what you're going through right now. What you look like right now is not what's going to be the end of your story. Come on. You don't look like your struggle. I, I need you to hear me. And when God sees us, he doesn't see our struggle. He sees our sonship. Amen. And I'm not going to play gender acrobats right now, okay? Okay, so if I say sonship, you know I'm talking about all of us. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Make me like one of your servants. Your highest servant. Make me. I need you to somehow confirm my disbelief. And he runs home and he starts this whole thing. Make me like one of your hired servants. The battle is always over your identity. Amen? In every covenant, God wants us to know that we are his children, but we want a master-slave relationship. And here's the problem. An old covenant mindset keeps us maintaining a slave-master relationship with the Lord. And we'll maintain that based on our old covenant mindset. List, 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 check, check, check. God loves me this week. List, 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 no checks. Uh, I got a brace for the curse. Wonder what's going to happen. Wonder if he's going to make my timing chain on my car go out. And it's going to be my washing machine this week. And we play punishment acrobats with God. Which one are you going to do today? Just bracing myself because I may not have money next month because I didn't, I didn't do right this month. And what you believe, you manifest. And the old, set, old covenant mindset keeps us maintaining and manifesting And reinforcing untruths about God. Amen? I got to hurry up. The story reveals to us that our goodness or lack of goodness doesn't change our Father's goodness. 
I talk about this. Somebody say, God is always good. Somebody say, always good. Somebody say, only good. Somebody say, only good. So the son comes running back. He starts into it. Listen, he starts into it. Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against, you know, before heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Listen, before he can start with make me, because you know God's a good God. You have not because you ask not. God's principle works the same. I think it was intentional that the father cut him off before he asked his question. But he says, before he can get into make me like one of your heart, listen, before he could ask him to make him something, the father decides to remind him. I'm going to just lay that sink down real I'm not going to make you do something. I'm going to remind you of something. I'm not going to make you like a higher servant. I'm going to remind you. How am I going to remind you? I got to, I'm, going to, I'm going to do an example. Come here, Casey. Come here, Casey. You might be upset with me because the shirt may not fit, but we're going to try it. We're going to see what happens. So he goes, he goes, uh, do me a favor, go get the best rope and bring it here. Okay? They bring the rope. Try it. We're going to try it, okay? Put the rope on. Listen now. Now, I'm doing the modern day time, right? So Casey, son, comes in. He starts into it. I'm not worthy to be called a son. The father says no. I'm going to put a robe on you. In this case, I'm going to put something on you that shows you that you are a part of this family. Today, what we're doing is we put a hoodie on Casey that has Prevail Church. So when Casey goes somewhere, people know that he's connected to prevail. I'm going to preach up in this house today. Y'all better get ready. If Casey messed up and they saw this shirt, they say, that's one of Fred's folks. That's a good church. People are great. Casey can be as terrible as I'll get out. But the conversation that happens in the community about the church is that everybody here is great. And they see his shirt. And his dignity is restored, not because of his personal stuff, but because he's in the house. So, son, yeah, you messed up, but I'm going to put a robe on you that restores your dignity. So when people see you, they see the house. (laughs) Bro, I'm listening. Y'all, y'all, they see the house. They see the household of faith. They see the house. 
I'm not just going to stop there because I need to remind you. Listen, I'm not making you into something else. I want to remind you of what you already are. You are already a part of the house. You just didn't have the robe. Come on, you exchanged your robe for something else. You took all your stuff, but you left your robe. But hold on, hold on. I'm going to tell you, do go get the best robe. So you know where they went? They went to the father's closet. And they got the best robe. And he put his robe on them. This ain't my hoodie. Come on, somebody. But if I had a hoodie today, it would go on him. It's the best one. Come on, somebody. Because you know what? If I make the hoodies, I'm going to make myself the best one. I love y'all, but I'm going to have them. <laughs> but so I'm going to put it on them. And I'm going to remind you that you don't just get second hands around, you get the best. I'm not going to make you a server. I'm going to remind you that you only get the best. Because you're a son, not a slave. But we're not going to stop there. Here's what I have next. Now, this right here, I don't have a ring. Come on, somebody. But I have a key to my office. Only one other person has this key. It's Aaron. But if I give Casey this key, and I say, that's yours. I have now restored authority. Because I've given him entrance and access to a place that most other people don't have. You know what they were, the ring represented? Authority. If they had a ring on, it had the family seal on it, it was authority. Now you have access to places that other people don't have. Come on, you have interest. You can make your way in something, you can say something and declare it. Come on! Because you have access. So if Casey has a key to my office, he can go in there and do what he needs to do. Because he has access. If I don't show up and something needs to be done, he has. I'm not going to just restore your robe. I'm going to give you back your authority. I'm not going to just give you dignity. I'm going to give you authority. Somebody say authority. I'm not. I'm going to give you Authority. And a key represents access, and a key also represents authority. You ever gone to a place where somebody uh, has a key? Come on. And you learn real quickly how much authority they have based on what doors they can open? I used to work at this church called Redemption. I had what they call a master key. Listen, my position to everybody else was really low because I was just on the operations team. My access was high because I could get into any place. So what people saw on the outside didn't represent the true authority that I was given and that I could manage. Oh, you're just a janitor. Uh-huh, but I can get in any room at any time. Because I got a key. You don't. Well, I'm a passenger. Yeah, you only got keys to your office. I got keys to everything. But I also understand how much authority I'm given to manage. That's, a, that, that's, that's free. And then he goes and puts the shoes. I ain't got no shoes. Amen. I can't afford shoes right now. But hand me that microphone. Because shoes represented responsibility. 
It represented not just access, but responsibility. So he says, I'm going to restore your dignity, your authority, and I'm going to give you responsibility. So now when I need you to go speak, Casey, go, go say something to the people. So now when he asked me to come speak, I have the ability to speak and you have the ability to hear me because he gave me the authority to do so. Listen, and I didn't just give him authority, I gave him a mic to solidify the authority, right? The authority, or the, the key solidified the authority. I gave him the mic to solidify the responsibility. I could have just been like, oh, yeah, you know, come on up here. And... But the father goes, no, 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 we're going to put shoes on you because if I give you shoes, that means you got places you got to go. Uh-huh. So now you got a robe, so you look like the house. Uh-huh. You got the ring, and I'm giving you shoes because I need you to go places and carry what's on this house and bring authority. The father's good. The son didn't believe he was worthy to be called a son. But the father didn't even ask what you did. He reminded him of who he was. Because he's good and only good. Amen? Somebody say he's good. Thank you, Case. Let me get my key back. In my <laughs> you keep the hoodie, though. You keep the hoodie. <laughs> Y'all like, dang, that was terrible. Don't be hating on my illustration. I only got one key, so if I give you that key, I ain't got no key. Man. Then we got to do the illustration all over again. You got to give it back to me. Amen? I also like this, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, and we're going to close. This story reveals to us that the damage of religion is nearly identical to the damage of sin. The damage of religion is nearly identical to the damage of sin. <laughs> She's like, oh Lord. The damage of religion is nearly identical to the damage of sin. Just because we go to church doesn't mean we know him as father. The greatest tragedy, travesty in this whole story is the oldest son is there the entire time. And we never see the oldest son assert himself in any way. He never asked for his inheritance. He's not even waiting or hoping and believing that his younger brother would come home. He cares not for his younger brother who's lost. And he gets mad at the father for celebrating that his brother is back and now alive. Instead of joining the party, he's out in the field with the servants, angry. He's a son 
and has no clue what's happening in the house. You want to know how messed up this is? Can I, can I drop this on you, Kenny? This is how messed up this is. He asks a servant what's going on in the house. Bro, you are his son. This is your house. You're going to ask a servant what's happening in your house? Religion, the effects of religion do the same thing, if not worse, as sin. We say sin is, a, is basically a fallen a lack of identity, understanding who you are in Christ, missing the mark, Right? Religion is ignoring the mark. Pushing the mark to the side, declaring that the mark doesn't matter. Religion will okay you, will make you okay with being angry with God for saving someone that got on your last nerve. Religion will make you celebrate when someone is being punished that you think should be punished. And will make you mad when God transforms their life. The effects of religion will have you hanging out in the fields with servants when you're a son. The effect of religion, I, just, I love that it's quiet in here because it's sinking in, but the effect of religion will have you close to the house, in proximity of the house, refusing to go in. And the father comes out. And I love this because God is so infinite, so wise, so perfect. And he is a loving father. And whether we have the effects of sin or religion, he comes out and he pleads with his older son. He's coming to the house. And the son says, you ain't never gave me nothing. And all I've done is keep your commandments. And the father says, <laughs> this is how I picture it. Y'all ready for this? I picture this conversation. As soon as, listen, all I've done is keep your commandments. All these years I've been serving you. And the father says, hey, son, son, 
not a servant. My son. I need somebody to hear these words. You're not a servant. You're not here to, God's not requiring you to check off a list. He's, son. Son. You are always with me. And all that I have is yours. You know what Jesus just slid in here? Communion. Servanthood will give you the illusion of separation. I'm not saying it's not good to serve. We do serve the Lord. But our servanthood doesn't make us apart from him. All I've done is served you and keep all your commandments. Son, son, you are always with me. The Father dwells in you, you dwell in him. Jesus says, I am him in the Father, and the Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Jesus reveals to us who the Father is, but he reveals to us that we are sons and we are now in union, one with Christ. We are co-union with Christ. We are united. Come on, somebody. So if we're in union with Christ, we're also in union with God. The Father, not a master. God is not a slave driver trying to get you to your next mission. To accomplish his will. The will of the father is that you would be a son resting in his arms. Or a daughter resting in his arms. Not a ministry leader accomplishing something for him. Fred, you mean, what does that mean? You tell me I shouldn't do No, out of the overflow of your heart, I want to give away my life and go and, 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 and preach and share the gospel and do a church, you know, build a church and all this stuff. But this is out of the overflow of sonship. If this goes away, I'm still his son. It used to be like that for me, Kenny. I used to be upset. Five people show up. Are you serious, guy? All this, I prayed this week, I gave, I, and I go to God with my list, and he goes, okay. Great, thank you for doing your, okay, remember, you prayed, but you didn't spend time with me. You said some words, but we didn't commune together. You are in the house. You're always with me. But you're still acting like a slave. Just because we go to church doesn't mean we know him as father. 
because you've been in church all your life don't mean you know him as Father. Just because you grew up in a Christian home don't mean you know him as Father. As well, just because you sin doesn't mean he's not your Father. Just because you dropped the ball over and over and probably drop it again this week doesn't make him less you love, love you any less. Just because you get angry and you get upset you don't know how to control your temper yet. Keyword yet. We're all on a, on a pathway. Come on, somebody. Just because that doesn't mean God loves you less. Just because you don't always get it right doesn't mean he loves you less. Just because you might cut somebody out in traffic this day, today, doesn't mean he's going to love you even less. Just because you might drop the ball and watch that video that you weren't supposed to watch. Again, that you told God you weren't going to watch again. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That means he loves you less. Just because she caught your eye as she walked by, that means he loves you less. Just because you went back to her or him when you said you never would, that means God's love for you has changed. He is your father. You are a son. You are a daughter. We are, as the Bible calls us, the beloved children of God. Man, I don't know who this is for, and I, maybe, maybe y'all like, well, I've heard this stuff a million times, Ray, you keep preaching the same thing. I just felt so strong today that we needed to do a sermon that's really just a treatment on understanding that God is Father. He's Father. We have a Father. Amen? He's always been there. I watched a video this week. Kurt Franklin and you should go watch it and I might give a spoiler but I'll give a spoiler you're just going to be mad at me alright Kurt Franklin is known for all his life part of his story his testimony is that he's, he was raised as an orphan he was adopted didn't know who his parents were and found out you know who his parents were he knew about his mother but never knew who his dad was it was always a guessing game and then there was this time where he, this guy was labeled as his dad, and he said, I pretty much hated him all my life. Like, just, you were never there, and just never seemed to be anything to it. And then this, this thing happens, at some funeral, this mishap happens, and this guy says, oh yeah, I dated Deborah, who was Kurt Franklin's mom. I dated her. And it was just in passing, and they went on about life. And then this rumor started going off that this guy was Kurt's, Kurt Franklin's dad. Well, Kurt Franklin's like, no, I buried my dad. And it was a terrible time. This man went to the grave knowing that I didn't like him. I buried him. I've done these things, right? And so this whole thing proceeds. This guy does a swab test, sends it to Kurt, says, I don't know. If you want to figure it out, it's up to you. Kurt does the test. 
comes back 99.99%. This is your dad. This is your father. He's 53 years old, guy. 53 years old, finds out this man is his dad. Has hated another man. Buried him. Never did a test. I don't know. I'm guessing they never did a test. But this man, 99.9999%. That's your dad. Y'all want to hear something crazy? This man's lived five minutes from Kurt's studio. All along, he's had a father right down the street. Never knew it. And what happened is he never knew he had a father, so he had trauma. He had everything telling him he didn't have a father. And he lived his life based on the fact that I don't have a father. What am I getting to? Why am I saying this? Some of us, listen, the trauma you have is because you keep viewing God as a master and not a father. We view God as a slave driver. We view God as a as Gandalf in heaven waiting to punish us. We view God as this person that wants to smite us and make, make sure we understand our mistake. Come on. We view the, the, the Holy Spirit as the sheriff of the kingdom. Not as our father. He's our father. Amen? And I went for a long time today, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm done apologizing for short messages because sometimes short messages ain't helping you transform. I can get up here and preach for 15 minutes and you feel good because you get to leave, but you ain't transformed. And if I say something and it takes me an hour for you to get to understand that God is your father, guess what? It'll take me an hour. Well, I want you to walk out of here with this knowing that you are a child of God. Amen? Can you stand with me? You are a child of God. Listen, if you're watching online, I want you to do me a favor, connect with us. I want you to connect with us. Connect with us so you understand that you are a child of God. Connect with us. If you were here, you say, Pastor Fred, man, that message was great and I really need, I really need to I just want I want you to pray for me. I want to do two things. I'm going to pray real quick, then I'm going to open the altar. And I want to pray for you. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for everyone here. I pray, God, that this word resonates with us, that we sense your presence near and dear. Thank you, God, that we recognize that we are your children, and you are our Father, and you've always been our father and you've always been a good father and you've only been good God I'm going to say it and I know some religious folk going to be mad but there is no evil in you you are good all the time and all the time you are good thank you for what you've said and done in this place if anybody in here needs prayer I want you to come up here right now we're going to pray come on Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. 
For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.